yes, I would love to provide this big American dream for my son to strive for. But as he strives for that and he draws himself at school with his daddy on a tractor, mm-hmm. it's cute, but it's heartbreaking because we live in such a stressful time for agriculture. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. There is so much that goes into those delicious, beautiful Washington apples that this state is so famous for. And you're going to learn a lot about that this episode, this conversation we have this week with apple and cherry grower Leah Eddy. Fascinating stuff. So much that doesn't meet the eye when you just go to the store and and take home that delicious fruit. It's overwhelming when I listen back to this conversation and think about all the things that they face, not only all the practical stuff, which we talk about first, but the human pressures, the stress. We even get into mental health and the future for her family. Leah Eddy is our guest in the Sunnyside area, and this is an awesome episode this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Mana Insurance Group, helping you plan for your financial future, protect your to protect your financial future. Not just pick up the pieces like people think about insurance, but have a plan in advance uh, to make sure things don't happen if they don't need to. Also, Washington Red Raspberries, one of our supporters. A big thank you to them for supporting what we do. Williams, supporting your clean energy future. Thanks to their community grant supporting the podcast and Dairy Farmers of Washington. Go check them out, wadairy.org. They have a full virtual farm tour on their website. Again, wadairy.org. Thank you to our sponsors. Now let's go to Sunnyside, where we talk with Leah Eddy at Eddy Farms. What kind of food do you guys grow? What, what, do, you, what do you actually produce? We produce apples and uh, sweet cherries, and uh, we have 13 different varieties of apples and... I believe it's four or five different varieties of cherries. So it's a pretty, pretty long seasons and a, a lot of labor intensive moments in life, but yeah. it's, it's good. It's like, a, it's a good feeling to be able to provide fruit and food on the table for families. So what's your, what are the busy times of the year for you guys with those two different crops? An easier answer is when is the slower times? <laughs> it's busy all year round. It's pretty much, yeah. uh, I would say, of course, during harvest. Um, but I, season typically starts pretty heavy March through end of October, beginning of November. Because like right now what we're doing is we are um, starting our spray season. We're spraying a lot of dormant oils and, um, you know, uh, pesticides to prevent um, attraction and um, the egg laying of, of pests and everything. Mm. Uh, we're also um, planting. We're busy into planting. What we did this year is we had to take out a lot of our older varieties that aren't um, favorable in the market and also the styles of plantings because, you know, about 20 years ago, we started getting heavy into higher density planting. And so, a lot of people with the older varieties and the older style plantings are just not keeping up with the market. And so we took out a lot of the older varieties and the plantings and we're, we're currently planting cherries where apples used to be. Mm. And so why is that like a rotation thing? Um, it's not necessarily, it's the market, you know, um, it tends to be like when the new fancy thing comes out, people just like plant (laughs) it like crazy. Well, over time it doesn't become new and fancy because something else comes along the lines as new and fancy so it's a matter of taking that out and you know the last couple of years we've been very profitable with our cherries and we've been producing very well you know good quality fruit and so um, we're putting a little bit more cherries in taking a little less apples out because you know if the apple market crashes you got to have your backup market hopefully to keep you afloat so and as far as what's trendy like the different varieties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to have those in for several years before they really start to produce. So it's a gamble then, I would guess, when you're planting. Like, am I going to plant the thing that people are going to want to buy in five years? Exactly. And it's not necessarily planting it. You have to order it ahead of time. You can't just like today be like, I want to plant the new Cosmic Chris and order trees. You have to order them years ago. Really? Because it takes the nursery 
a long time to get the sign wood, graft them onto the rootstock that they have or you want and, you know, grow the tree for you. And then you get the tree and then there's such a back order. So it's just like, it's so difficult to, it's not, it's not like, oh, I need milk. And you go to the grocery store and buy milk. (laughs) It's, it's, you have to pre-order it way ahead of times. And then you have to care for the crop for three years, hoping that the market still stays afloat. And then once you start producing, you then hope that it's still explain that process the sign wood what what's that and and then grafting and why do you have to do that okay so it's the thing is that people need to understand is farming and agriculture is not farming and agriculture there's Mm. so much science behind it it's so intriguing so what's sign sign wood and grafting is is they take a branch from let's say a red delicious and they grab a rootstock which in theory let's let's call it a battery, a battery power. So mm-hmm. you have this battery power and you put the sign wood attached to the rootstock and it'll start growing the tree. So the sign wood would be the like clipping off of another tree. Yes, it is. And so s- typically what some people um, will do is um, they have the tree there. They have the power source. So they'll cut the tree down so it's just a stump and then they'll graft on the sign wood and then braid the grafts together to create a new stump and then grow the tree that way because mm. you already have the major power source there. So instead of growing it from a, um, a small power source, a small little tree, it takes about three years, but from a stump you can actually gain an additional year. So you can start producing about two years. So it's a quicker way to do it rather than growing the tree up from nothing. Basically, yes. From a little like what I seedling. Yeah. What I mentioned before with the higher density um, production is, um, you know, you have to make sure that you're not grafting onto an older planting style because you're going to have potentially less uh, production per acre or you're going to have these large seedling trees that nobody wants to pick anymore because mm. all these employees that we come, we have these beautiful high-density blocks that they only want to pick those blocks. And once we move to a block that's a little bit bigger, boom, our employment goes so work, workers love the high density because there's a lot of fruit in a small amount of space kind of it, thing? It is, and it's also easier to pick. So, I mean, it's all in a line, and so they just grab mm-hmm. their ladder and just go down a line, while the older style plantings are these huge trees, so they have right. to move their ladder around, they have to get up in the tree, and it's very cumbersome for them for pretty much the same price of fruit. I mean, sometimes we have to raise the price per bin a little bit more because it is harder to pick those trees, but... It's, it's, it's what the employees favor too, because that's what we're running into is you have to favor the market, but you also have to favor the employment because you have all these bigger, older trees. Nobody's going to want to come work for you. Yeah. I I hadn't thought about that part. I mean, the part of high density made sense to me. Like you have X amount of land. You want to try to get as much fruit off of that as possible. So, you know, pack them in more trees, Mm -hmm. you know, higher density with, Mm -hmm the trellising and different things that people are doing to maximize the amount of fruit that they produce Mm -hmm. on the space that they have. But then that labor issue, if it actually could cost you less to pay people to harvest that versus costing more to pay lower, it it quickly doesn't make any sense anymore to to do the old style, low density spread out these big, huge trees. Yeah. And the, and the, the thing is, too, with the higher density trees, they're easier to manage. So with the larger trees, like what I said with the battery power source, they're big battery power, so they shoot a lot of energy out. So mm. on top of growing a lot of fruit, they grow a lot of vegetative growth, like branches, leaves. Yeah. And so like, let's say you have a variety that's very color sensitive, like a gala or a, a golden or something like that. You want to be able to have enough light interception into the tree so it colors the fruit. So if you have this huge power source that has all this vigor, you have to go and summer prune a lot of that growth out so that you can color up your fruit and have good quality. So it's shading itself too much. It is. It's shading itself too much. And with the higher density trees, you know, it's it's just a little stick with these little branches and it's tree, 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 tree. And you don't typically get the major vigor, unless you have certain varieties mm-hmm. like uh, like Fuji's are very um, common to have a lot of vigor. Um, but proper management, proper applications will help with the vigor and lower your cost ultimately. So yes, you're putting more cost per acre, but if you manage well, you're going to have 
less labor costs down the mm. road. So it's kind of. That, that's interesting with plants. My dad kind of found that too in his years of growing raspberries because, you know, he, he's the kind of guy that likes to go all out. So when he was planting, you know, he put lots of manure on and he did every, you know, got good plants and planted mm-hmm. well, took really good care of them, wanted them to be as big and as solid as possible. And generally a big raspberry plant is going to produce fairly well. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, especially at different points in their life cycle, because they can last several years, they're, yeah, they're putting way more energy into mm-hmm. their foliage than into the fruit. And it's like, wow, these, these huge, great-looking rows of raspberries, and they actually don't have that much more fruit on them. Well, and you also have to think of it this way. So you have this power source, and it's putting out a lot of power. So the typically how I help people understand this. If you have 100 apples on a tree and and the roots are giving off power, they're giving off 1% power per apple, so 100% mm. power. Right. So the less apples you have on there, the more power per apple is going to have. Mm. So let's say uh, you have 10 apples on the tree. Well, now each apple is going to have a extra percentage of energy mm-hmm. because there's, l- there's less energy dispersion it's the same thing with the vigor when you cut that vigor off that energy going through that shoot is going to go towards the fruit but on the off side of that if you have too much energy going through the fruit you have too big of fruit or you have a nutrient deficiency and so you have to counterbalance Mm -hmm. it you know you have to make sure that your thinning and your your water and your nutrients management is all perfectly aligned or else you're just going to go you're going to get a week before harvest having this great fruit and then bitter pit, all your honey crisps fall off the tree or they're too big. Or like, let's say the market, you know, the market last year, they wanted small fruit. So you grow small fruit. Oh, nope. This year we want big fruit. Oh, too bad. So <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, and consumers it's so, are fickle on whether they want big fruit, small fruit, yes. buyers, grocery stores, whatever's in. Well, the thing is, colors. It, it's, it's all, it's not just what people want today it's what exports want too so it's what what is easy to export so like if you're exporting um certain varieties to like china and stuff you can't necessarily export honeycrisp because they tend to you know mature and kind of potentially rot a lot Mm. faster than let's say a brayburn but on the flip side too it's the whole conventional organic it's very hard to export an organic piece of fruit because you can't apply certain products to help it with their shelf life basically Mm. and so there's a there's a there's (laughs) so much to it there's a lot of science there's a lot of marketing and there's a lot of politics that go into agriculture that a lot of people just don't don't realize yeah what about the flavor at the end of the day and and I'm, i'm thinking about this too as you're talking about different varieties of apples that's what's cool about apples and cherries a little bit too. Mm-hmm. People know the names of the varieties. Mm-hmm. And granted, they probably don't realize that there are sub varieties like the newer version or this version mm-hmm. all under, you know, like yeah. you mentioned, a Brayburn or a Honeycrisp. Mm-hmm. There are different versions of that, but they're generally the same thing. They generally yep. taste a certain way. Mm-hmm. Other like raspberries, people don't know the different varieties generally, except no, they're really the, like specific buyers. And see, that's the thing with like cher- the cherry market; it's Rainier's or red. But like yeah. a red cherry, there's dozens. I always of think, red cherry varieties, but they sell them as a sweet cherry yeah. or a red cherry. I always think Bing's when I see dark red cherries. Yep. And that's a variety, but there's also Skeenas and Santinas and Chelans and Titans. But when it gets to the grocery store, they're all called the same thing. Right. So. People don't know. With any of this, though, back to what, what I was going to ask before I geeked out about variety names, um, is is the flavor. How much does uh, do all these cultural practices that you're talking about, grafting and high density versus low density and, you know, whether they're getting color and, you know, mm-hmm. foliage, and how, how much does that affect what the apple tastes like? A lot. I mean, when you have a good nutrients program that is specific to your variety, you can have a good result. Um, the negligence of that and the over or under application of water can really mm. adjust the it, and what the taste is in an apple is the sugar and the bricks level. Right. So if you overwater an apple, it's kind of like diluting the sugars in the apple, and it could potentially taste yucky. 
Blah. Yeah. And if you, let's say, don't give them the vitamins, basically, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. If you don't give them the nutrients and the vitamins, they're not going to come out tasting as sweet or as crunchy as it should be. Like mm-hmm. one thing I mentioned is um, some varieties like a honey crisp. Um, are very prone to um, a calcium deficiency called bitter pit. So basically it's like a kind of darker dimpling of the fruit Mm. and it's, it's corking. So, I mean, that basically is restricting the fruit to fully mature to its fullest potential Mm. with the bricks and the starches and everything. So it's just, you have to be very, very meticulous about how, to grow the fruit, but it's not just how to grow the fruit, but making sure that you're growing the correct variety on the correct rootstock in the correct location <laughs> on the correct fe- face of the earth kind of thing. And it's just, it's, it's, that's, it's not as simple as buying it from the nursery and putting it in your backyard and growing, your, growing fruit in your backyard. It's, it's so scientific and so specific on every little detail. So now do you guys grow organic or conventional fruit? Both. Do both. So our cherries are conventional and Mm -hmm. our apples are organic and conventional. Mm -hmm. For our apples, we are about roughly 75% organic. Mm -hmm. Every year we're putting a little bit more into production of organic. Um, And the thing is, the market is really good. It's a lot more care that you need to take care of organic fruit because you can't use certain pesticides or nutrients um, that are not not necessarily called harsher, but they are um, a little bit stronger on um, targeting pests. Mm-hmm. So you're using products that are softer um, and are considered labeled or certified organic for production. It may just take a little bit more to get the same quality. So organic is not like you don't spray them with stuff to keep the bugs off. Because that, I mean, that's what you some do. people say, like or, organic stuff. Well, it's going to have bugs on it because, you know, it never got sprayed. But that's not the case. Not necessarily. I mean, you can get your neighbor who doesn't take care of their orchard and you're going to get yeah. bugs. Um, but um, no, what it is, is products, pesticides that are organic certified have a carbon base to them. That's what cr- identifies them as organic. Mm-hmm. And so... Something that is equivalent, let's say a pesticide that is targeting the same pest as a conventional product, it might be very similar, but it's a softer product, so you have to use it twice as much. Mm. So that's the thing. It's like the market Mm. is really good for organic, but the cost to grow the fruit is three, four times more. So it's if you're heavily into organic, and let's say the organic market falls off the face of the earth, you're you're in deep water mm-hmm. over your head. Mm-hmm. So it gets it gets to be a gamble. You know, am I going... And the thing is, is you can't just become organic. It's a three-year process. It's 36 months. So just like planting, you got to make sure that you're planting the correct varieties mm. at the correct rootstock and everything. But if you go into the organic transition period, it is an investment of time right. and money. Because you could invest all the way into your, almost your 36 months, and let's say you get this huge infestation of some sort of pest that the neighbor isn't taking care of their orchard, and you're like, we can't control it with these softer pesticides. And unfortunately, in order to save my land and my crops and make sure it doesn't spread to everybody else, I have to use one conventional product to control it, and then it takes you out of the organic yeah, program. Another, you're, it's, the, the stopwatch starts over, the, the yep, countdown. Yep. And yeah. so it's it's... It's you have to be smart to be in agriculture nowadays. I never thought of that with organic, uh, the, the cost element ahead of time. I'm always like, well, yeah, it costs more to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you have something that's, you know, whether it's land that's in conventional or something that's already pr- planted there that's conventional and you want to go organic with it, you have to pay those extra costs mm-hmm. For three years without any additional yep. reward. Yeah. The I mean, reward being the higher price that people will pay for organic. Yep. Yep. And that's if. That's if three years down the road, organic is still yeah. a, a profitable market. I mean, anything can happen. Anything. Politically. Pol- politics, unfortunately, have us by a leash. Mm. Because a- anything can happen and just market can crash what do you mean by that politics have us by a leash 
I mean, if we have a politician, and I'm not saying any specific politician, that is fighting with a certain country that's very large and starts with a C, and buys a lot of apples from us, and they decide, hey, we're not going to buy apples from you, or um, like, let's say Mexico, let's say Mexico stops buying apples from us. Where, where, mm-hmm. where are all these exports going to go? I, I know a lot of people, and I highly agree with a lot of people who say, you know, we need to feed the people of the United States. But there is a lot of fruit and a lot of produce out there that need to be dispersed throughout the world. And so yep. it becomes this oversupply, which makes the prices drop. It's this whole teeter-totter of the world yep. that you need to follow. And it's, so it's, it's supply and demand. Basically, basic high school marketing, supply yeah. and demand, high supply, low demand, high demand, low supply. You got to balance it all out. Trade wars and rules and deals yeah. and all that stuff comes to bear. too. You talk about the exporting, though, just quickly on that point. It's a good point to make because you can grow apples in quite a few places, but you can't grow them like we can here in Washington. Right. I mean, that, that's why Washington is famous for its apples yes. around the globe. Yes. Um, it has to do a lot with the fertile land we have, but it's also the climate. We have ideal climate and ideal soil profile to grow apples in this part of the world. Another part of the world is New Zealand. New Zealand grows excellent apples. And the nice thing is New Zealand is on an off season of us. So when we're in summertime, they're in wintertime. So we kind of do this balancing with the supply throughout the world. Yeah. And so um, Michigan and New York, they, they are, um, um, you know, well populated with uh, apple acres over there too. But yes, it's, it tends to be the location. It's everything, location, location, location when it comes to agriculture. And Washington, especially central Washington, tends to be the perfect location for apple produce. How did you get into all of this? Did you grow up around it? I did. So growing up, um, my grandfather had, uh, he's in the dairy industry. And so mm. he has um, dairy cows and then he also has orchards. Well, when I was about seven years old, my parents got a divorce. And when my dad remarried, um, Julie, it was my stepmom, she is affiliated with um, an apple warehouse locally and so her family grew up into the apple industry too so when they got married they bought an orchard together and so I kind of had a choice growing up as a farm kid do I want to work on on the cows or do I want to work on the apples Mm. and apples are a lot quieter and not as stinky as cows so growing up when I was about between seven and ten years old I kind of worked in the summer on the on the calf ranch you know feeding calves and changing out their water and stuff then when I got to a little bit older I started working on the orchard uh, at my dad and stepmom's place. And so it was little things like fixing pipe and, you know, um, laying out gopher traps and and doing little things here and there. But, you know, I started to show an interest in it and show that I enjoyed doing it. So every summer I was able to do a little bit more. So... I started doing tractor work and then I started doing forklift work and then I was doing harvest and I picked fruit and I loaded trucks and I came to, I think I was 16 years old. Uh, my stepmom was pregnant with her first child. Mm. First day of cherry harvest, five o'clock, she comes into my room. My water broke. I'm going to the hospital. You and your brother are in charge. Oh man. I was like, oh no. Oh, no, I don't know what to do. So 16-year-old me and my brother was 18, I think it was, or maybe I was like 14 and I don't know. It was We were in high school. Yeah, We're in charge. We were the boss all of a sudden. And so we ran Harvest and that was a changing point in my life where it's like, I really enjoy this. And, you know, I was able to do this at a young age and we worked together as a team with the employees and it, it came out just fine. And, you know, my stepmom was, um, you know, very stressed out about everything because she manages it all. But, right. you know, what really changed my attitude about it was the encouragement from her. She was like, thank you for being there when I needed you. And thank you for doing a good job. And thank you for stepping up. And it's like, hey, that kind of makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started to be more involved with um, 
the the orchard working in the summers and a little bit during the school year but then when it came to high school um you know everybody asked you the question what are you going to be when you grow up (laughs) i don't know and so i was really struggling about like where to go to college because i wasn't 100 percent sure what i wanted to be because a lot of my family members are in the medical field so it's like well do i want to go towards the medical field because i do have a passion about that or what what should i do and so my stepmom sat down and was like hey you know what you're you're really good at hands-on labor and you're really good with the orchard. How about you go into orcharding? And I was like, there's not a school for farming. There's no farmer school. And she's like, yes, it, it, that's a degree. And I'm like, no. So I went to Wenatchee Valley College and did their mm-hmm. two-year tree fruit program. And I had the ability of completing the two-year tree fruit program and then starting work right away or joining the WSU sister program where you then transfer over to WSU and you finish your four year over there. And I was like, man, do I want to keep going and whatever. But like I said before, my stepmom, her family owns a Apple warehouse. So they said, if you graduate this year and you're complete, you completed your two years, we're going to hire you as a fieldman. I was like, all right. So I graduated and I started becoming a fieldman for Apple King and I worked for Apple King for about six years. And within the, the six years, I was also an orchard manager. And so I did the whole, I, I learned, the, the thing that people need to understand too is, and I understand a lot of college kids run into this problem is there's a lot you learn in college, but there's even so much more that you learn hands-on. And so when people get out of college, they're like, you can only get this job that you wanted for for the last 10 years of your life if you have experience. And so they're, you know, people don't have an experience and so they can't get their job. And so they're sitting on this degree. Well, fortunately for me, I grew up doing this stuff and then I went to school doing the stuff and then I was able to get this job that not many people can just like pick up. Mm-hmm. And so to my knowledge too, I believe I'm the only female fieldman that have been around in this valley. You know, it's a very male dominant yeah position and and how so, do you feel about being called a field man if you're not a man ah uh, that's fine i'm not a he he she they kind of person but uh no i was i was fine with that but i mean that's the thing i grew up dealing with a lot of you know the challenges of agriculture and now i need to step it up not only with agriculture but with people it's the whole you are a young female you possibly don't know as much as you 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 think you have because you have a degree so it's proving to people that um you know i kind of kind of hope that i know a little bit so i was a fieldman for a number of years and then i became an orchard manager for apple king too and then my husband matt we went to school together for ever since the seventh or eighth grade uh but he was my first grower (laughs) So I, uh, <laughs> I see what's going uh, on. Here. Yeah, I kind of, <laughs> you kind of progress that way. So here, Matt would be in the orchard talking to other field men. And here I roll up and he's, oh, sorry, my field ladies here. I got to go talk to her. And all the other field men. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if I had blonde hair and a ponytail, maybe I would get more fruit from you. <laughs> like, oh, come on. So we started, we started, we were dating in high school and then it was this off and on thing, but we always kept our friendship. But at, after college, we started dating again. And then, um, you know, he proposed to me and we got married. And, and the, the agreement he had with Apple King is that Leah can't be a fieldman or an orchard manager when she's pregnant. So he tried really hard <laughs> to get me pregnant as fast as he could so he, so I can come work on the farm. So, like, when I first got I married to him, his, his goal was that I would work on the farm and I would do all the um, – uh, office work and the paperwork for him so he can get yeah. back out on the tractor. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure 80% of the reason why he married me was so I can do his paperwork. <laughs> and then the other part is cooking and cleaning and taking <laughs> care of him. You know, it's just, that's what I like to say. But um, so, yeah, so I was doing fieldman work, orchard managing, and then also doing book work for the farm. And then when I became pregnant with our first child, I said, "Hey, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't be around pesticides anymore, and I can't. I can't do these early morning long days. So, unfortunately, I had to quit working for Apple King. But we have the relationship with Apple King still, so we were still able to send them fruit and work with them. You know, along with other warehouses um, that we were affiliated with. And so, 
I started doing um, the food safety, the LNI, um, the payroll, a lot of the paperwork office stuff for my husband. So I went from working outside 110% of the time. I mean, there's times yeah. where I slept in my truck. I mean, I never went home. I was wow. hauling bees and I was doing frost and I was fixing tractors all the way. In and, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting in an office with no sunlight. And I'm like, this is driving me nuts. And so, I mean, it was kind of nice because when I had my first child, then it's like, okay, I can't, I need to stay home. I need to be mommy, you know? And so having that job was ideal. Um, but it's hard to balance family and business. So yeah. fortunately enough, uh, my husband's uncle who, um, lived in Portland at the time and was working, um, in like a financial industry, um, mm -hmm. decided he wanted to move back down so you can be close to family and so he moved back down and he took over the financial side of the farm like the payroll and the bank and the loans and all that stuff while i solely did the food safety um the accident prevention programs all the the safety auditing and the lni claims so i did that for a number of years and you know as we grew my husband decided hey let's let's dip into the organic market and so we started to transition into the organic program so then i took over that and then, um, you know, we had, we had more children and our farm expanded and our employment ex expanded. And so we became a lot busier. And then this last year, my husband and I decided to have our own orchard separate from the family orchard. So mm. now we're taking care of two sets of books and banks and everything. And it, it got, I got a little overwhelmed. Let's just say that it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of work to, to, manage your your business and your work and your livelihood and then come home and take care of the kids and do the laundry and clean and mm -hmm. all that stuff so i've been having to distribute my some of my responsibilities here and there to other people on the farm and so i'm back down to just doing the food safety and just the organic program and you know the spray records and the safety side of stuff and so it kind of does this big loop loop around but so is that what some of this stuff is here on the table I would say this is about one twentieth of what I do. <laughs> it's there's that much paperwork. This is, to this, do. is this is just two years of spray records, and I'm currently working on transitioning three years of spray records onto a new digital program. Hmm. That's what I'm working on right now. Not to mention that the current year's spray records are coming in, so I'm having to organize those. Um, but then on top of that, I also do food safety programs for a number of other growers. I help them put together their binder and help them um, remind them like, hey, it's time to do your water samples or it's time to do your fruit samples or it's time to schedule your audit and kind of work with them. Um, because the thing is with neighboring farmers, it's the whole, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. So I do yeah. a lot of, I would say, free labor because yeah. I know that someday when we're in a crunch, we have yeah. people that are going to help us. And yeah. it's it's the, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. And it's this relationship we have with other people that is very comforting because we live in a very stressful time where you try to do everything yourself, but there are times where you need help and need to reach out to people. And people are there. If, you, if you're a kind person and you're willing to help people, you're, there's people out there to reach out and help you. So that's mm. that's a very comforting feeling. Have you ever had to fall back on that? A little bit, yes. I know it can be hard for yes, independent farmer types it to do. Is. Yep, yep. I mean, we so we have a farm that's right on the county border and we we pulled out a lot of grapes and we had all this these grapes to burn. Well, we couldn't get a burn permit in that county. Mm. And so the neighbor right across the road was like We'll take all your stuff. So mm -hmm. they took their trucks, their employees, picked up all of our stuff, brought them over to their property and took care of it. And it's like, well, thank you. You really yeah. helped, helped me out in a yeah. pinch, you know. And there, I mean, there's a lot of times where, um, you know, like right now we're in the middle of frost season. And I feel comfortable that if something goes bad, let's say a wind machine falls down or a field truck is gone or something like that, we have enough relationships and connections where it's like hey i need your help right mm. now and there's people that are gonna pick up drop everything and pick up and come help us 
As if everything else that you've already explained for growing fruit isn't complicated enough, explain what frost season is. I mean, this is the time of year when, what, the plant has blossoms? Yeah, so this is the time of the year where the tree comes out of dormancy and starts to produce buds and flowers. And so there are certain stages where the fruit is in development. So you'll have like a little bud and then it starts to swell and then it starts to break open. And then every little stage, that stage can handle a certain temperature or degree for damage. So as it matures, so when it's in a a, a tighter, um, less mature development, Mm -hmm. they can handle really cold temperatures. And as they mature and become a flower, they can handle less of a tolerance so Mm -hmm. what we have to do is we have to watch the weather so carefully i mean the forecast can say oh yeah it's going to be 40 degrees tonight but without you staying up all night and checking your programs and checking the the weather current weather you know you might have one area that's 40 degrees and right across the road it can dip down to 32 degrees just because wind can affect that a lot right because people think of wind as being cold but wind actually stirs the air yes and then the low Yes and no. So like you can have like a cold front come in where the wind is bringing cold air and that Mm. could be damaging. But how it works is there's your temperature at, let's say, 20 feet from the ground. That is 32 degrees. Then you have the space above that. It's called inversion. And typically your inversion is a couple degrees warmer than below because heat Mm. rises. So what we have is these wind machines. They're these large towers that have these blades on them. And what it does is the blades are tilted just enough, two, three degrees downwards. So when you turn them on, it blows the inversion down to bring Mm. that temperature up just enough so to, it doesn't to, freeze. So it doesn't freeze. So if it gets cold enough, there's nothing you can do. There, I mean, you have your wind machines. That's mm-hmm. a prevention. And then also what you can do is you can turn your irrigation on and raise the dew point up. So water will actually warm the area mm. up. And, and it's kind of a weird concept to believe, but let's say there's a flower and there... Um, tolerance is 29 degrees. Like they have 90% kill damage at 29 degrees. If you put water on top of it and it freezes, how cold is ice? Ice is 32 degrees. It doesn't get colder than that. So you're actually insulating Mm. the flower and you're protecting it. So you think that you're actually, it looks like you're damaging your buds. But But you're putting protective ice over it. You're putting protective ice Mm. that is, insulating just enough because it's not going to dip down to 29 degrees. It's going to stay at 32 degrees. The problem is if you have a type of irrigation system that's overhead and you're covering the whole tree with ice, ice is heavy and you're going to damage, potentially damage the tree. Break branches and stuff like you see in an ice storm. Yes. Yes. And so, um, some, some of the ice will protect, but, um, and it's kind of a tricky situation, too, because if you have your irrigation going on and there's ice and you have mist, let's say you turn the water off. Well, that mist can actually crystallize and do damage on your fruit. So you can have the whole bottom part of your tree freeze out and here comes here comes thinning time. And you're like, well, where's all the fruit on the bottom of the tree? It's because you froze out the bottom of the tree mm. because you turned the water off too soon. Mm. So it's understanding the whole science. Oh, behind. man. Yeah. It's and not- it sounds like kind of a last ditch thing too, I would imagine. At least I would hope because that, that sounds scary and tricky. It, it is very, very tricky. And, and fortunately enough, we started doing this new program. Um, this, this company is called Simios. And they put out a, um, they're little delta traps. So they're like, a, like a sticky pads mm-hmm. um, for pest monitoring the Bug. Catch bugs, uh, yeah, yeah, catch bugs. But on top of that, it's also um, a weather station, and they put mm. these one one per acre. So if you have forty acres, you have forty of these things out there, and so you can go from like the west side of your block being thirty two degrees, and you're driving around, and you're like, oh yeah, it's it's warm enough. Well, the middle of your block might be twenty eight degrees. Mm. And then here comes harvest time and you're like, where's all my fruit in the middle of the block? So it's it's yeah. 
it's integrating technology, which is so fascinating now because 20 years ago, we didn't have this type of technology. And even beyond that, I mean, when my husband, so when we graduated high school, he started taking over the farm right away. Well, his grandpa was still doing everything by hand. He was doing mm-hmm. payroll by hand. So he learned how to do that by hand. And he was like, Grandpa, we got to do something. So they got QuickBooks. That was a big thing. <laughs> Whoa, we got a computer. Whoa, that was a big thing. So so he started doing uh, QuickBooks and his accounting on the computer, which was mind-blowing to his grandpa. But now we're starting to integrate so much more. We have We have sprayers that are all computer programmed and touch screened and you you put in your calibration specifically and it puts the exact amount of pesticides or chemicals or nutrients that you want out so you're not over or under supplying the fruit and then you know you got simios that has all these weather stations and these programs and these pest monitoring it's like we're living in this world of technology that's so fascinating so it's almost to the point which is very unfortunate that if you are not keeping up with the times and the technology you're going to fall behind yeah. And well, it sounds like with all of the technology, the number one thing that you're generating is lots of data about what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. But then you have to be able to interpret and use that data. Mm-hmm. And so I would think that would be the next step is, okay, you've got all these numbers, all these different points of different temperatures, different values for whatever you're sampling or testing or monitoring for. Mm-hmm. But what does it tell you unless you really know what it means it, and it can make decisions with, based on it? It helps you with the next decision. So it helps yeah. you what you're going to do tomorrow. It's the same thing. It's like, for instance, today, today is very windy. You know, we're, we're not able to do everything we want to do because of the wind, because it puts our employees at risk. If they're working on a ladder and you have 30 mile an hour winds, <laughs> yeah. that, oh. I mean, but we knew about that 10 days ago because we have the technology nowadays to predict. So right. it's not, you're not waking up and going, oh, cr- oh shoot, you know, I, I had my cruise out and now, now it's going to ruin everything. So then you have people just sitting around for you to make a new plan. Well, that costs money, them just sitting yeah. there twiddling their thumbs. So with technology, you're able to plan out not only your, your workflow throughout the week, but you're able to pre-schedule your future outcome of your fruit and and monitor and nowadays it's it's all about documentation you know food safety documentation organic program documentation water samples fisma everything is documentation they have to have some sort of documentation and it's i think better to have it in some sort of digital form because mm-hmm. guess what happened last year covid guess who doesn't want to come to your farm auditors yeah. they don't want to see your paper version they want to see digital version so yeah. you have to you have to convert everything over into programs and technology so that you live in this world we live in now with Zoom and, oh, it's just, <laughs> oh, I hated last year with my audits. How many audits I had via Zoom. Oh, sorry, I have bad connection. And, oh, we got to reschedule this audit. It's like, oh, it's so cumbersome. Uh, so but, what are these audits and how do they work? What are you getting audited for? So, I mean, people hear audit, they think IRS. Well, like, yeah. did I do my taxes right? But that's not what you're talking about. Here. No, basically what it is, is when I say that um, I have a food safety program, it means I am food safety certified. It's an identification that I grow good quality and safe products. Not only that, but I create a safe work environment for my employees. So I, Eddie Farms is Global Gap certified. So every year I have to go through an audit process to show and prove that I'm keeping up with their um current regulations and their compliance it's the same thing with lni and employee safety you have to keep up with your safety meetings and your trainings and your your inspections and stuff like that and you have to have compliance audits and you have to have safety audits and it's it's just a continuous process you can't just like lay it off because you're going to be behind and with the organic program you know it's the documentation of application records and um you know, monitoring pests and making sure that you are following the rules. So it's, it's that kind of, yes, when you're new to it, it's very scary. But when you've been doing it for the last 10 years, it's just part of your job. And yeah, the word audit is scary. And some auditors are scary. (laughs) But it's, it's, uh, you know, if you're following the rules, and you're doing it correctly, there's nothing to worry about. Now, if you're not following the rules, yeah, then you're shaking in your boots. Yeah, for sure. But what, what if it's like, 
I thought I was following the rules, but was it good enough? You know, because I know there can be gray areas. Yes, and that's that's the thing that when that's what I say. You can't just like let this fall behind. You have to be up to date. I mean, my specific job is the organic program, the LNI, and the food safety because my husband can't do everything. Because he has to keep up with the new regulations, the new versions, the new audits, the new rules. I mean, some people's job and career is food safety alone. So it's just, it's a continuous um, renewal of rules and revision of, of compliances. And so it's, it's not like, here's the rules, follow them for the next 20 years. It's like, here's the rules, follow them for 20 minutes, and we're going to change them in the next 20 minutes kind of thing. So it's it's being able to keep up and understand and, and you know, educate yourself and reach out to people and ask for, for advice or help or, you know, come up with new ideas and share that with people and, and kind of create these connections with people because all in all, we have to comply. We have yeah. to, we have to provide a safe product for people. Not only that, we need to provide a safe workplace for our employees. How far back in the family does the, because you said now you guys are starting some of your own orchard, Mm -hmm. like you have your own business that's going alongside Mm -hmm. the family business. Mm -hmm. How far back in the family does that go? Okay. So on my uh, husband's side of the family, a little bit of explaining that. So, Eddie Farm started in 1974 with his grandfather's father, Ivan. Mm. And they started Eddie Farms, and then and then my husband's grandpa, Jim, was partners with them. And so um, Eddie Farms started out with some apples, some apricots, a little bit of a little bit of everything, you know, the the diversion. And so um, ultimately they became mainly um, apple apple farmers. Well, it kind of skipped a generation. So it went from grandfather to grandson. And so my husband's grandpa raised my husband, Matt, Mm. from when he was two. I mean, Mm. they they have two peas in a pod. (laughs) If he's in the truck farming, so is Matt. If he was out drinking coffee with the farmer, so was Matt. I mean, he was like his little sidekick. And it's very similar to my son and my husband. You know, my son, Logan, he wants to be a farmer. So there he is out pushing trees in yep. the ground with and kicking dirt over. And so it's, yep. it's very cute to see the similarities. So, so after high school, my, um, my husband took over Eddie farms and he's been managing it with me and his uncle and, um, his grandfather, Jim. And so, um, what we kind of, we decided to do a little bit of our own thing just because, you know, it's, it's, nice to have your own little set of little tiny thing to do whatever you wanted instead of having this larger farm where you have to follow larger, larger stuff. And so, um, tip. So with Eddie farms, we'd like to say we go back. What is it? So one, two, three, four generations. But if you actually look at the books, it goes all the way back seven generations. Mm. So that's when, really, that's when, his grandfather's grandfather started farming in this valley. It wasn't Eddie Farms, but that's when they started farming. And it started with sugar beets and asparagus and a lot of row crops that were very typical in this in this valley. And then when the apple industry and the tree fruit industry started to be introduced, that's that's when they started dipping into that, and that became their major and main um, livelihood. Is that something that you think about as you're working on the farm, continuing on that? Legacy. I mean, is that part of? That's the end goal. Yeah. But it's a, it's a struggle. I mean, it's every single day you got to wake up and just worry, and that's what. Unfortunately, that's what we live in is the state of worry and stress because you don't know what tomorrow holds with, um, you know, the banks or the politics or the market or something happening. Something, anything can happen on your farm and you, then suddenly you're the bad guy and you're being sued and this and that. And it's just, yes, I would love to provide this big American dream for my son to strive for. But as he strives for that and he draws himself at school with his daddy on a tractor, Mm -hmm. it's cute, but it's heartbreaking because we live in such a stressful time for agriculture. 
explain that. It's hard. What what goes through your mind when you see the you know the, the last, drawing of the tractor? I mean, it's so stereotypical, right? It is. It is. You know. You know. It's like you know. It's it's a career day at school, and my or my son wants to be dressed up as a farmer. But when my husband puts on his boots and his hat for the day, he goes out with a with a big heart. But the thing that people don't see is the the long hours, the un, unseen tears, mm. the stress, the heartache, the the sick to your stomach because you never know what's going on, and it's just it's the it's the never ending, infallible. It's just like you just never know what's going to happen because we can't control what we do anymore. It's all politically controlled. Mm. It's it's very very tough, and the thing is, it's not only that. I don't only want to provide this American dream for my son. I want to provide this American dream for my employees' kids. I mean, mm. we have employees that have been working for us for thirty five years, yeah. and this is all they know. And you know, it's 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 you're not just thinking about yourself. We have many many people that work for us and some people that have worked for us for years and years and years well then here's their their kids and that generation coming up and how do you introduce that into them when you have this rule this labor rule oh you can't have children working on the farm because that's a safety hazard Mm -hmm. well how are you going to introduce children to agriculture if they can't be involved with agriculture so it's 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 that kind of stuff it's like it's like we we want to you know American made and American driven, but you can't do it because you're gonna break a law, or you can't do it because you're yeah. gonna be you're gonna be seen as a bad person. So it, it's so difficult complying but creating. Mm. So it's there has been times where my husband and I we look at each other and it's it's hard. It's like I'm not quite sure why we're doing this, mm. but all in all, I would say there's two reasons. One. We're, we're providing. We're providing food on the table for, for people to eat. And then second, we're providing for a workplace for people. Mm. We, we have people that are relying on their job and their income from us mm. that if, if agriculture never existed, there millions of people yeah. would be on unemployment or, you know, not being able to work or, you know, have, setting their skills to what they're good at. You know, there's, it's just, it's very difficult. And there's times where I feel very discouraged and I feel like I'm going to give up, but it's always my husband. That's like, you always look at the bad thing, bad side of things. And you need to look at the good side of things. And it's like, I know it's it. I know you understand. It's very, very difficult to do that. You have to be an optimist though, to be a farmer. But it's the correct thing to do. It's the correct thing to do. It's, it's hard to keep your mindset in the positive direction when you have so many things attacking you there's always that what if what if feeling in the back of your mind um that you always have to think of but you you can't you can't live that way you can't live thinking what if or in fear or all that stuff you need to go beyond that and strive for something further in order to be successful because if you're in fear all the time you're not moving forward so is that what drives you forward is is staying ahead of and away from the fear and providing for people these these are the things that you're just describing to mm-hmm. me what about what about feeling like ah, we can't stop because this has been what the family's been doing for so long I, well i mean that that runs through your mind too because i mean this is this is his my husband's grandfather's legacy you know he's passing it on to my husband and now he's got the responsibility on his shoulders to carry this on you know you know it's just you can't you can't let traditions die kind of thing and then at the same time you need to set an example for the new generation and unfortunately and i i'm a millennial and i'm kind of that borderline kind of generation but we're running into a lazy generation. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we are. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's proving that we can strive forward with hard work and dedication. You know, agriculture is not an easy thing to do. I have friends and family, and I mean, I'm not uh, disgracing them or anything, but they talk about, oh, I worked uh, four tens and I'm so tired. 
Hmm. It's like, well, have you ever tried working 24 sevens? Cause that's yeah. agriculture. You don't, yeah. you don't get a break. You don't get vacation. You know, you don't, you know, when you're the owner of agriculture, you don't really even get sick pay. You know, it's like, yeah, you're sick. Too bad. You got to keep going. So it's, uh, what worries me is the way that the generations are coming along where a couple of generations ago, it was all based on hard labor. And now it's all based on the easy way out mm. kind of thing. How can I, how can I get famous on TikTok? Yeah. How can I get famous on yeah. YouTube? And it's like different value system. Yep. And it's, it's showing that the, the working with your hands and getting dirty and working long days is still exists. And you know, we need to show that to our kids and set good examples. <laughs> that sounds heavy duty. I'm only 30 years old too. And it's like, Oh, I, should I be feeling that like this at 30 years old? Like, yeah. should I, should I, should I feel like I have a hundred years of stress on my shoulders? Mm. It's like, do I, do I bow down and take the easy way way out and just quit doing what I'm doing? Or do you just keep moving forward? It's like, that's the only, only thing me and my husband know how to do almost. Yeah. It's like, if we're not, working hard with our hands, we're, we're not doing anything. When you're under that much pressure, how do you keep up on your mental health? How do you stay That's a great sane? question. Cause I, I, I don't, I, I know don't it's have... a very personal question, but I know cause I've been there a little bit and I watched my mm -hmm. dad and so many people that I know in farming struggle with that. But I mean, I mean, setting aside the personal question, just, just read any Google it. Google mental stress and mental mental illness in agriculture, and you will get the statistics. The last five years, outrageous and scary statistics: mm -hmm. people committing suicide, people becoming depressed, people having anxiety attacks, and stuff like that. And it's 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 substance abuse. Yes, and, and it's, it's, it's not talked about a lot either by people who are running the farm on booze or drugs because yeah, they can't handle it. Yeah, and the and it's, I just feel like if this was any other industry, let's say the medical field, let's say the mm. medical field is so stressful that people are committing suicide at outrageous rates, this would be worldwide public news, mm. but it's not. And why is that? Why are we not talking about this more? Mm. The, the, the mental stress and, and the mental illness side of, of, of agriculture that is, is just up in the clouds and not not addressed like this needs this is, needs to be the newest pandemic like pe people are under stress is killing people so why do you think that is that it's not bigger headlines about the situation i just i just don't think it's important to some people you know unfortunately right now what people want to talk about is covid 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 that's yeah. all they talk about and then it's, you know, what's the president doing and what's the queen of England doing and what's this and that. And it's just like, can we, fo can we go back to like focusing on this, this topic? And mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand why it's not addressed. Well, people, but it, needs, talk, it needs to be addressed. People talk about food a lot mm -hmm. and there's foodie culture and people valuing different, you know, things with food. Mm -hmm. There's also like the, um, you know, food focus on how things are grown and the trendy things, whether mm -hmm. it's organic or non-GMO or, you know, how workers are treated, all these things that I'm not belittling any of those, but they tend to be hot button issues. Mm -hmm. And this issue that we're talking about here seems to fall through the cracks of all that. Mm -hmm. It's not a hot button in your face, you know, issue that's driving people to be outraged and you know go on rants it's just this quiet festering mm -hmm. difficult thing that happens kind of in the shadows i don't know and I, I maybe maybe it's you know a state of agriculture is for the tough people and the mm -hmm. tough people don't want to admit that there's a mental problem because because when people say mental illness people think loony bin or people think yeah. crazy people the but, stigma but but the thing is, mental health is just as important as your physical health or more. It's even more important because it controls everything else. So 
having this, yeah, stigma or this bad vibe of a mental illness or mental health instability is not a bad thing. It needs to be a frontline issue that we need to address because, yeah, like going back to what you said, like what, what do I do? I don't know. I don't know what I do. Uh, honestly, there's times where I'm so stressed out, I just shut down, mentally shut down. Mm. I, you know, I start focusing on my family. I start focusing on my health, you know, and it's, it's, it's not good. It's not, it's not good at all. I can't be, I can't be dealing with this kind of stuff at the age of 30. And so I've realized recently that I need to focus on that. Not only that, but I need to help my husband focus on that. Mm. So like what he does, I, I would per se, what he does is he makes sure that he goes out socially and he mm -hmm. sees his friends and he gets away from the farm. And, and the nice thing is, is, we used to live on the farm. So it was a constant farming 24 seven. You then, look out the window and think, Oh, I need to do this. I need no, to do you that. see mm. some smoke cause something's on fire. Yeah, you see a broken wrong? sprinkler or see yep. that. And it's just a couple of years ago, we, we moved off the farm location and I have seen a great change in my husband's, um, at home interaction. It's, yeah. you know, he still has the business and farming, um, mindset, but he knows, how to separate business from family. Now he's spending mm -hmm. a lot more hands-on time with the kids and with me and, yep. and being able to break away from that a little bit. But I mean, most people who own a farm or work on a farm, um, live on the farm. It's, you can't get away from the farm. And so well, and there's a good part about that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I know when my dad started farming where I ended up growing up, we didn't live there. Mm -hmm. It was a rented piece of ground. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to move there and eventually we were able to, and then we could, we were always there. And so mm -hmm. we were around with that help. So on one hand, that was a great thing. Yep. But on the other hand, still to this day, I mean, every day he wakes up and he has potential issues and stress staring him in the face. Mm -hmm. he, he has nowhere to go home to and just disconnect. I think at the, in this, at this point in his life, he probably couldn't do that anyway because this is what he has known. This it's, is the way he grew in, up. It's ingrained. And okay. now this has been his professional and personal story mm -hmm. for his whole life. Mm -hmm. That's where it's good that your husband is doing that now. Yeah. And so, honestly, the topic of mental health within agriculture is so important. And yeah. being able to put that out to people for them to understand and to hear stories about the struggles of agriculture and the struggles of balancing family with work and financials with hands-on and everything. It's just people don't understand that. And it's, it's very, very daunting mm. and it starts to wear on your mind and then eventually it wears on your body and it wears on your health. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're having a hard time getting out of bed. You feel like you're just limping around because you're in this state of s constant pressure. It's very difficult. Whew. But you still love it, choose to do it every I day? choose to do it. It's ingrained. It's ingrained. Yeah. It becomes either you're good at it or you're not good at it kind of yeah. thing. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know if you put it as like teaching an old dog new tricks kind of thing. But, yeah. um, you know, if you're a dog, you're a dog. You're not suddenly a dolphin. You know, it's yeah. ingrained in you. And so, um, I even though it's real stressful, I... I love it. I can't, I, I can't stop it. I can't stop it. And I can't prevent it too. You know, if my son wants to become a farmer, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. I'm just going to show him the positive side of farming and hope and pray that hmm. by the time it gets to his time to take over, it's a whole different world, hopefully a lot better world. I hope you're right. <laughs> Even though my pessimistic streak is like, I don't know what's going to make that happen. But yeah. The, the idea of a family farm is very, very small in the future because agriculture is becoming a lot more um, corporate and a lot more investors being involved. And unfortunately, it's very difficult for a family farm to keep their head above the water. So that's that's kind of a little bit of a strive, too, for it's like a dying breed. You got to keep fighting yeah. kind of thing keep biting until the end, but, um, it would be nice to get a break every once in a while. Yeah. 
don't get me wrong. We do all go on vacations every <laughs> once in a while. Like we take the kids to the lake and we have a yeah. little place up in Winthrop and we go over there. It's not like we do this all the time, yeah. but at the same time we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. you got to do with the amount of pressure that you're under, you do need to do that stuff mm -hmm. to maintain your mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my husband, he, um, he's very active. He works out every single day. So I think that helps a lot to being able to release a lot of that, um, internal stress and, Yep. you know, through exercise or being able to go out with his friends every once in a while and have a beer or two, or, you know, he's yep. a very, very positive person. Like he, he does, he sees the sun on a cloudy day kind of person. Mm. So, which is kind of the opposite of me. I see, I see a lot of rain clouds on a, <laughs> on a very clear and sunny day. And so I don't know if that's a healthy balance between the two yeah. pros and cons, yeah. but um, no, he, he is the definition of American farmer, mm. young generation American farmer. And I hope and pray that my son looks up to him in that positive way and not in my negative way. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he, he really makes a stressful situation bearable. Mm, that's awesome. And you got to have that to survive. You do. You have to have that to survive. Well, thank you for producing incredible food for people to eat. <laughs> I think that, you know, I don't normally thank people for that, but now that I'm doing this conversation, I should be, you know, I think more people need to be thanking those of you who are growing the food that we get to eat. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And, and thank you for opening up and sharing all of this mm -hmm. too. Yep. I think it's important that we know more about what all goes into those apples and cherries and everything and else that family that farms are the producing. The fact that, that food doesn't eat. come from a grocery store, yeah. you know, absolutely. there's, a very strenuous process to get from farm to table, from tree to table. And um, unfortunately, from tree to grocery store is not not seen very clearly. Yeah. It's from grocery store to the car yeah. to their table. Right. That is the more common side of agriculture. Well, thanks for giving us an inside look. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure talking with you. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 